For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 163, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. And me, Ravi Abbott. Now, what a show we've got for you this week. Not only are we going to be talking about, because we love covering new games for all systems, and a friend of ours is actually making a brilliant game for the Commodore 64. There's been a lot of C64 titles coming out recently, hasn't it? It's crazy. It's like, you know, probably more titles coming out for these retro platforms now than any time since they were like mainstream computers and shops. It's awesome. It's nuts, isn't it? And also, maybe you'll get to decide what games are going to be on the Mega Drive Mini. It looks mm. like that might be happening. We'll talk more about that in the next few minutes on the Retro Hour podcast. And this week, we're going to be joined by an amazing guest. Now, it seems like we're going all over the world at the moment. This week... I guess he's actually British. He's from London, but we're crossing to the sunshine state of California. Yeah, we're talking to Christian Simpson of Perifractic Retro Recipes. If you've seen that, it's a really good channel. He does some pretty awesome stuff. He's He's been doing these uh, Lego cases, so he rebuilt a full C64 with working keys and everything out of Lego. Yeah, and he did like a an apple pie, I remember, putting like a raspberry pie in an Apple II case. Some really kind of off-the-wall stuff like that. And Christine himself, I mean, he's a really interesting guy. Um, probably the only guest we've spoken to has actually been in a Star Wars movie. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so we'll find out more about that. Really interesting this week's guest, Christian Simpson. It's going to be very nostalgic. He's coming up on the Retro Hour podcast in around 15 minutes from now. Now, before we get into this week's show, let's give a big thank you to the people who make the Retro Hour podcast possible. The fact that me and Ravi can come in here every week and tell you the retro gaming news and bring you guests like Christian Simpson. And that is people who make a donation into the running of the show. Now, we say this all the time, it's optional, it's a tip jar, isn't it? It's a tip jar, yeah, just to help the show out, you know, we have website costs and all of this, and uh, you guys kind of keep us running, thank you. Yeah, so we really appreciate it, and of course, for making a donation of any amount at all, every pound, every cent, every dollar, it all goes back into the pot and keeps the show going week in, week out, and you will get a mention in the Retro Hour Hall of Fame on a future episode. And this week, let's show some love to Patrick McGinty. Mark Sloranz. Darren Coles. And Mark Hughes. Who all made donations into the running of the show. And if you'd like to do the same, honestly, it takes like five seconds. All you've got to do is nip onto our website, click on the Support Us section at the top bar there at theretrohour.com. And while we're talking about people that make this show possible, amazing that The Economist are back on board with us again this week. Oh, awesome. Yes, thank you so much. Now, they, they were a big supporter of the Retro Hour podcast at the back end of last year. And we're pleased to say, again, we've got an amazing offer for you now. The Economist, we've talked about them before on the show. I mean, really... The Economist is a smart guide to the forces impacting our world. Now, you know when you hear the title The Economist, a lot of people think, oh, is it all about finances and stuff like that? It is, but it covers a lot more as well. It does, and they're all really intelligently written articles. One thing you've been looking at, the Netflix of gaming. Yeah, so for years people have kind of been trying to do game streaming. Now, there's a fantastic article about how there's a kind of battle at the moment to be the Netflix of game streaming. Because, yeah. you know, we've got movie streaming... And it's all about that zero latency. And I think, you know, they need that killer product because, you know, when a lot of these games come out online, they always crash yeah. because there's too many people on the server or too much demand. So I think they need a wonderful killer product and one of these companies is going to crack it eventually. And this article's kind of talking about which ones you should be keeping an eye out for. Yeah, and which ones haven't worked and kind of, you know, about the future battle. The thing about The Economist as well that we love is, I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast. In this day and age, there's so much kind of false news around and clickbaity headlines. You even left social media for a bit because you were sick of it. Oh, yeah, I'm not on Facebook anymore. Yeah. I only use Facebook for streaming because there was so much inaccurate stuff being <laughs> constantly shared. That's why stuff like The Economist, I think, you know, the time that we live in now, 
facts are more important than ever and The Economist will sift through all that noise and help you make up your mind on things that are really important. I mean, they've been going over 170 years, so you know you can trust them. Now, if you want to get a free copy of The Economist, we've got an offer for you. Um, if you want to get your own copy in the post, proper print copy of the magazine, I love reading magazines anyway. Now, all you have to do, we've got this little offer on, text the word RETRO and send it to 78070. Not only will you get your free print copy of The Economist, but also you'll be helping out the podcast as well. So all you've got to do is text RETRO to 78070 with The Economist, the smart guide to the forces changing your world. Right then, let's talk about this interesting little product that you found for the PlayStation Classic. A lot of people have written off the PlayStation Classic. You know, you've seen it in like bargain bins in supermarkets and stuff now. Yeah, because the PlayStation Classic, it came out at around, well, $100 yeah. uh, was the price, and it came with 20 preloaded games. So a lot of people were kind of like, oh, this this machine, it's it, it wasn't a very good effort by Sony, they say. But as we know with these devices, um, they can always have additional mods and stuff that really make these machines fly. Now, they've dropped the price universally of the PlayStation Classic, so it's around $40. I've seen for about 30 quid in some shops. Wow, yeah, yeah. so that's that's awesome. And they're basically saying there's this uh, way that officially last year we learned about them being able to sideload stuff. And they were sideloading stuff with this really amazing modding tool. And it's, it's got a strange name, BleemSync. So I don't know if you remember Bleem. Yeah, I remember Bleemcast on the Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah. Bleemcast well, you, you was a play way PlayStation of pl- playing PlayStation games on it. So Bleem Sync is obviously a way of playing all the other systems on your PlayStation Classic. So the things that Bleem Sync's offer is it's basically got full support of RetroArch right. and integration. So you can load up your different systems, your different cores as well, play them. It's also got a faster filer system. It has optimizations for the... PlayStation Mini as well. And you can use any Bluetooth controller on it. So you can get like your Xbox One controller or your, even your modern PlayStation 4 ones. That's have, cool. have them connected up to your little PlayStation Mini. So really it turns this device... Really, I mean, you know, we all watched those YouTube videos last year. I've played with a PlayStation Classic. I haven't got one. You know, I've got an original PlayStation anyway. I've got about four of them actually, I think. Um, but I think now it's kind of turning this product into something that is usable and people can actually enjoy. Yeah, definitely, because they're saying here they've even got add-on packs. So they have a, a cheat add-on pack. Right. So you can obviously <laughs> upload of cheats and an overlay pack so you can start customising all the menus and overlays and kind of basically ignoring that Sony setup that they had on there initially. You just picture it now, like Asda and Game and stuff, suddenly they're going to start selling like hotcakes. And like, yeah, like, yeah. We should have kept the price high, what's going on here? So um, if you want to mod it, I mean, I've read it's actually quite a simple system to mod as well. It's yeah. not too complicated. Um, so if you want to find out more about that, I love the fact they've called it Bleem as well. I don't know if there's any relation or whether it's kind of just No, it seems to be by, by these guys called Mod My Classics. Okay. Very cool. So I'll put a link to that in this week's show notes. And the rest of the stories that we talk about, you can find them every week at theretrohour.com. Now, we did mention about an amazing new game that's coming out for one of our favourite platforms for the Commodore 64, and this is by a good friend of ours, Steve from Wavem Studios. Now, this is a new shoot-em-up, actually, called Cosmic Force. Now, Steve is actually away at the moment in Tenerife, but he's, uh, he's been kind enough to take a bit of time out of his holiday and come on the podcast. So welcome to the show, Steve. All right there. How are you doing? Like Dan? Yeah, Ravi. very good. Good, you're, good. You're in Tenerife at the moment while we're in rainy Nottingham. Yeah, um, you know, it's a bit of a working holiday, but um, yeah, that's all right. The power of the internet, eh? <laughs> Exactly. Well, I know things have been pretty busy for you recently. You did, um, a lot of people know you from the, the Commodore Story documentary, and that was obviously a real love letter to Commodore, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, you know, that that was a, an idea that came together, and um, and really, yeah, it was a, 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 a work of passion, and uh, like going out there and meeting all these famous people you know all the the legends of commodore was awesome and um yeah really glad that we did it and uh, and like now we're moving on to something just a little bit different than a documentary yeah so you're going to be writing a game for the original commodore 64 called cosmic force so tell us a bit about the game and kind of what games it's been inspired by so ever since i Got my first Commodore computer. I've, I've always been into shoot 'em up games, um, and in fact, part of it comes from my uncle owning an arcade in a, in a little place called Great Harwood in Lancashire. 
and it was called the Lucky Nudges. And I, I used to go in and he'd give me like a pile of 10 pences and uh, I'd be there playing on Defender and Galaxian. And uh, so that's where some of the inspirations started to come from. And I wanted to like recreate that feel of being in the arcade and, and a good old shoot 'em up. Um, so the inspiration, like I say, is, is Galaxian and Defender, but also uh, one of my all-time favourite games was the vector-driven Star Wars game, and I want to try and put a bit of that into there as well, which it, it's uh, all going to be a challenge, but um, we, we've done some prototyping and we know it's possible, so let's do it. Well, you've also got some awesome people on board with this project, haven't you? Yeah, um, whilst we were filming um, the Commodore story, we met a guy called Derek Morris, and at the time he was talking about writing a book called uh, Retro Game Development. And he said to me, have you got any words of advice? I said, yeah, just do it. And uh, lo and behold, he, he did do it, and it's become uh, a pretty good book. And I know he's busy now working on volume two, which is going to go into a bit more detail. Mm. Um, so Derek is uh, part of the technical advice and, and programming advice there. Uh, and also we've got a guy that runs a website called 64bytes.com, uh, Michael uh, Tazinski. And he is, is quite a young guy, actually, for the Commodore 64 uh, front. But he's really gone uh, into a deep dive into the, you know, programming to the metal and getting the best out of the Commodore 64. and Bang those chips. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and also we want to take a, a lot of inspiration from the demo scene as well, you know. Mm. So, so um, you know, for what we want to do, with the game, uh, it is going to take a lot of uh, effort and a, a lot of development in there. So it's really great to have these experts on board that can put some extra inspiration and just, just you know, under the bonnet uh, know-how. Well, talking of, you know, legends that you've got involved and in, the music, from what I've heard so far, you know, got Jason Page and the legendary Rob Hubbard is going to be doing some music for the game. Yeah, um, so, so this track does already exist and it was part of Project Hubbard. It's a track called Radio Ace. Um, so I got in touch with uh, Chris Abbott and said, you know, that this track, that we really love it and it would be great if we could put it into Cosmic Force. Um, the feedback that I got is that this game, sorry, this track has never actually been used in a game before. Um, and so it's really good that we're, we're able to do this. Yeah, and of course, Jason Page, uh, he's worked closely with uh, Rob Hubbard. I'll tell you what, he is absolutely awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, the track that he has made for Cosmic Force, which um, is named Cosmic Force, it's it's got all the tweaks and, and, and the twiddles that you would you would hear from a, a Rob Hubbard track. But, of course, um, it's a Jason Page uh, track, and it you know, you just got to listen to it. It's fantastic. Well, if we can play a bit of it in the show, that would be awesome. If, uh, if that's all right with you, I might go into our interview today with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, Jason would absolutely love that. Awesome. Well, also, it's getting released on 5.25 floppy disk and cassette as well usb cassette which we've seen the Husum releases come out on these nice little usb cassettes and you're doing a documentary about it as well <laughs> well you know to, to keep in style with wave m studios you know we did the commodore story and, and of course we, we've got to film every step of the way with cosmic force and and yes we're, we're creating a documentary called the creation of an 8-bit shoot 'em up the documentary is not going to tell you exactly, you know, which buttons to press to program um, the game, but uh, what it will show you is is the collaboration and um, the sort of things you need to do to put a game together. So it's about the music, it's about the concept, it's about the gameplay, and um, yeah, we're putting it out on a few different formats, and, and we're very excited to to put out put the game out on original floppy yeah. you know so uh, like i say in the uh, in the campaign you know you you get your floppy you stick it in and then uh, <laughs> and then you start firing away you know so that that's what it's about steve's been on the sangria hasn't he in tenere if i can tell <laughs> it's, yeah I, I think i've got jet like <laughs> but i know you mean there is something though about putting like a five and a quarter inch disc into a 1541 drive here in the head spin up and everything it's uh very nostalgic. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, we've had a few questions from people. Why can't it be on cassette? And, of course, we are going to put it onto um, USB cassette. Mm. But uh, the, the game isn't designed for traditional 
original cassette because it's going to have too many levels, um, mm. like too many stages, uh, too much data to, to load in. You know, so it's it you, you could put it on cassette, but it's going to be quite laborious, like waiting for the cassette. You know, so um, the idea of, of putting it on a USB cassette is to to keep that nostalgia, but uh, use some of the modern tools. You know, mm. so uh, the, the disk drive emulator. Um, also, we're making sure that it it'll work with um, the C65 Mini um, and also uh, Gideon's uh, new machine that he's working on, the Ultimate 64. Yeah. Um, it's going to work on all them platforms, um, you know, including Raspberry Pi. Uh, basically, anything that runs a VIAS emulator, then it'll work with that as well. So, Well, I think, you know, obviously all our audience, um, I'm sure, would be big fans of this game. You know, anyone who loves stuff like Galaxy and Gallagher and Defender, all those classics, I mean, it looks the usual quality that we expect from Wavem Studios, Steve. So we can't wait to see the game. It's running on Kickstarter at the moment. And, uh, of course, we'll put a link in our show notes at theretrohour.com if people want to find out more. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for having me on the show. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Now, before we get into our chat with Christian Simpson, going all over today, Tenerife, straight to California. Uh, we sit here in a rainy Nottingham City Centre at the moment. <laughs> uh, but we need to talk about the Mega Drive Mini. Now, it's something we did mention on the show last year. There's been lots of rumours, and it kind of makes sense, you know. Sony have done it, Nintendo have done it twice now. Everyone wants Sega to do their own mini Mega Drive console. Well, they'd done one before with Act Games. Yeah. That was not very good. It was licensed by them, and the kind of sound was really bad on it. Yeah. Um, there's been a few versions coming, and they were going to do another one this year, but then they actually recalled it. Well, last year, yeah. 2018, they actually recalled it and said, we need to spend a bit more time on this to make it really good. Now it seems Sega listened to the community. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I've seen a lot of articles, actually, recently saying... Mm by journalists that put them out saying, oh, no one's going to buy these mini consoles. They're not going to be a success at all. And now I've seen all these articles going, I was wrong, I admit it. (laughs) Was that before like the the NES and all that came out? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it it does make sense that Sega are going to do a Mega Drive Mini. But the thing about it is, I think the good point about this is it looks like they're going to be taking it in-house and doing it themselves. Awesome. Because stuff like, you know, Sonic Mania, that was beautiful. Well, you know, we've got friends who work with Sega at the moment, Kim Justice and Dan from Slope's Game Room, you know, they're working at the moment with Sega. So, it seems like, you know, Sega are now paying attention to the retro community. Because yeah. that's where, you know, they're hardcore fans are there, aren't they? Definitely. They, they, they need to use those assets yeah. and uh, use their history as well. So, at the moment, there is, this is quite interesting, I'm very telling that, you know, the Mega Drive Mini is on the way. There's a poll that they're running on Twitter, this is Sega of Japan, asking people what games they would like to see if they were to do a mini console. And they've kind of been doing these, you know, you can do polls on Twitter, can't you? Yeah. Then a couple of these. Interestingly, I mean, it's a lot of the big games you'd expect. They've put, you know, the first poll is Sonic the Hedgehog 1 against Sonic 2, which one would you prefer? Puyo Puyo, which uh, was one of my favourite games, actually, on the, on the Mega Drive. Shining Force or Shining Force 2. So it just, you know, kind of seems to be those games you'd expect to see on there anyway. Um, one thing I, I was a bit confused about is why don't they put them all on <laughs> yeah yeah true I, I i don't know um maybe they've got licensing agreements with certain things but uh, all these franchises i guess they own anyway yeah they? i mean like, the, like puyo puyo and sonic and yeah the one that you don't normally see i think is sonic 3 um which because you know michael jackson did some of the music on yeah, it. Yeah, I saw an excellent video the other day by uh, Digitizer, uh, yeah. Mr. Biffo, who did a full kind of look at the whole Michael Jackson music thing, and it was uh, really interesting. And he actually says, it's a lot of the reason why uh, it's not used is because yeah. of the uh, legal issues behind it. Yeah, I think the Jackson family estate still own the copyright on that music, so it's probably going to mean that, you know, that's going to be left off. But then again, I mean, we've just been talking about it. Chances are it'll be out a week and it'll get out. And, and I guess if this is Sega Japan, yeah. they're then talking to the Japanese audience mm. uh, because this is all in Japanese. So, yeah. so I, I can't understand it. I hope that Sega America doesn't do a rival poll and then suddenly we get the two systems. With completely different games on them. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good shout, though, because I mean, people will probably buy them twice then, wouldn't they? Maybe uh, they'll have an American version and a, a Japanese version like they had with the C64 Mini. 
that could be. Yeah, or even the original Mega Drive. I'd love to see it. Cause it. Actually, they did that with the the Nintendos, didn't they? They released different variants. The Famicom the one. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I always love the look of the Mega Drive from Japan. You know, the big 16-bit font mm. and the, the purple on the bottom. Yeah. That looked really cool. Um, but even, you know, everyone's got their own wish list of games they'd love to see on there. As we were talking about a minute ago, this will be out two days and it'll be hacked anyway, so you'll probably be able to put anything you want on after a couple of days. So if you want to find out more about that, and maybe even a vote in the poll, you know, might help them out, decide what they're going to put on there. We'll put all that in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Right, there'll be more news on next Friday's show. Right now, let's cross over to California. This is such a nostalgic chat. Really enjoyed this week's interview with Christian Simpson from Perifractic's Retro Recipes. You're listening to the Retro Hour podcast, and it's time to welcome on this week's very special guest. We are loving his YouTube channel at the moment. Welcome to the show, Christian Simpson from, now let me make sure I say this right, Perifractics Retro Recipes. Perifractics Retro Recipes, yes. <laughs> welcome and hello, and great to be here, guys. Good to speak to you. Yeah, really appreciate you coming on. Now, I mean, for people that might not be familiar with your channel yet, I mean, kind of give us a bit of background on um, what your channel is about, what kind of stuff you cover. So Retro Recipes is not cooking. Um, some people do get confused, but basically I just cover everything retro from my favourites, the Commodore 64, Commodore Amiga, to Apple IIe, Atari's, um, ZX Spectrum Next, even the Amstrad PCW8256. So I tend to do a lot of unique kind of projects. So um, whether it's turning a Raspberry Pi into what we call the Apple Pi, there's a collab I did with um, Mindflare Retro and Jan Bieter over in Germany and the 8-Bit Guy, or most recently um, building a full-size working Lego Commodore 64. So where did the name Perifractic come from? That's a good question and one I get asked quite a lot. Um, so Perifractic, basically when I was back in school, there was a very eccentric kid and he was a couple of years ahead of his age. Um, and he said to me, took me aside one day just randomly and he said, okay, Christian, your name is Chrysostomatico Perifractic Habitana Malacula Catescia Boblus. And I want you to remember that for the rest of your life. And he made me learn it. Um, and when I was figuring out a YouTube handle, I'd always have Perifractic in my mind. Um, so it just kind of stuck around. And yeah, that's how it became Perifractic's Retro Recipes. That's amazing. It's stuck with you all this time. <laughs> yeah. Well, when someone makes you learn something um, when you're 12 years old and repeat it, I think about 20 times, it sticks with you. So I, I guess thanks to him. Well, your day job's really interesting as well. I mean, I was looking through um, some of your kind of biogs online and you're a screenwriter and actor as well. Yeah, I've done a bit. I've been really lucky. So I'm actually in California now. So I've been here about nine or nine or 10 years now in Los Angeles. But Back when I was in London, um, we heard about these new Star Wars films they were going to be making, ended up being the prequels. You know, say what you will about them, but I was excited, you know, for the prospect of being in those. And I'd studied drama in, in college and stuff. Weirdly sh shared a classroom with Kate Beckinsale for about seven years, like literally sitting, sitting next to me. Oh, cool. um, and so I just got onto my agent and I said, they are apparently they're going to make these new Star Wars movies in 1997. Can you please just get me an audition? And somehow I got an audition. Somehow I showed up and did the, you know, they took photos, filmed you for the director, which I, I assume was George Lucas was going to be reviewing these. And then I waited by the phone for a couple of hours, a couple of months, not hours, I wish. And about two months later, I got the call from my agent. She said, oh, hey, Christian, are you, uh, you available in August for, um, actually for a couple of months? And I said, y y yeah, what's what, what, it for? She said, oh, they want you for Star Wars. And you can imagine wow. any geek's dream, and I am a geek. Um, yeah, I managed to hold on to the phone handset and just see the conversation through to the end. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, they cast me as a Naboo fighter pilot called Lieutenant Gavin Sykes. And if you ever played Battle for Naboo, so now we're getting back to the retro stuff, uh, it was on the Nintendo 64 and, and every other platform. Mm. So you play through that game as Gavin Sykes. So that's me. Um, and it's a weird little tie-in, yeah. So I, I carried on acting from there and uh, had a lot of fun with it. And now out here I do a lot of voice acting and narration. Um, I guess most recently, if you turn on the audio description on Avengers Infinity War, if you have that on Blu-ray or streaming, I'll narrate the whole movie for you, which is kind of fun. 
So you totally get to geek out in your job, really? Totally. I get to geek out and then stay completely silent about it for several months until a film comes out, which is <laughs> not exciting and not, not enjoyable at all. Don't even tell um, Mrs. Perifractic. So it's, it's, a, it's a blessing and a curse, but yeah, very lucky. Well, let's get really geeky then, Christian. Let's right. get into uh, stuff that we cover on YouTube and this show. I mean, where did your journey with computers begin? So that began when I was eight years old. My dad brought home uh, an Apple IIe and I just fell in love. You know, you know, as you do, if you're a kid that's, that that just clicks with. And I would just remember sitting there for hours, you know, typing away, programming stuff in basic. And um, my first memory is playing the introduction to Apple IIe disc, which had a couple of little games on it. And it would teach you, you know, like what, what the enter key does and all these things. And from there, it was just just a love affair with that technology. Um, I've persuaded my mum to buy me an Atari 400 because I thought that the Parker Brothers Empire Strikes Back cartridge, which said on it for Atari video game systems, would work on the Atari 400 because that's a video game system, right? <laughs> so she bought me this Atari 400 and then, of course, that game does not work on it. So I played like Asteroids for, for about two years <laughs> on repeat. Um, and yeah, and then just evolved in into the usual ones, Commodore 64. I went from Amiga and flip-flopped to Atari ST and back again and just continued with that. And it, it's funny, isn't it? It's so strongly tied into nostalgia and childhood. And I really try to play into that because that's what it's about for me as a hobby. So on the YouTube channel, I'm always revisiting some of the strongest memories that I think come from these machines because I, I feel ultimately that's what the love is. It, it is for the machines, but it's also for the memories. So, yeah. So was your dad into computers too then, if he kind of turned up with an Apple too? <laughs> so for him, it was basically the spreadsheet feature. So I definitely wouldn't say that either, either of my parents were into computers, but he was a chartered quantity surveyor, so getting spreadsheets and stuff was, was crucial. Um, so he certainly learned how to use those, whereas I, <laughs> I was more like programming and, and playing the games. And I think it's fair to say I probably stole the computers that all the ones that he ever bought from him time-wise. Um, I was probably on them a good five times longer than, than they were, yeah. Well, which games kind of bring back <clears throat> the fondest childhood memories for you then? I think um, probably the most nostalgic is Ghostbusters. Yeah. Not only a great game, but it's again, it's, it's about how these things are burned into your memories. It's different for all of us. For me, I remember that very distinctive, if you remember, it had a clamshell black plastic packaging. It didn't have like a regular cassette. Yeah, um, it was bigger, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit bigger. Mm. And, well, by the way, if I do sound croaky or, or um, stuffy, I do apologise. I'm down with this cold slash flu thing that seems to be going around the YouTubers. The retro luggy. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't quite know how that works. I watched a video with LGR and he had a, he was down with the flu and then and then I came down with it. So some sort of. Virus, computer virus. It's a new algorithm, that's what it is. <laughs> Need to install Norton on as well, I think. Um, I, I've installed Virus Z on the Amiga, so <laughs> just, I've inserted that floppy and we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, the so under the Christmas tree, this Christmas, I, I was, not this Christmas, but back when I was, I guess, 11, I could feel the Ghostbusters shape of that clamshell in the wrapping. You know, the old Luke Skywalker joke, Darth Vader, I felt his presence, and there I was feeling... <laughs> my presence. Um, and I remember my friend came around and he said in front of my dad, oh, it's, that's Ghostbusters. And I was so mad at him for like ruining the surprise and spoiling it for my dad, even though I knew exactly it was Ghostbusters. So then Christmas Day unwrapped it. It was Ghostbusters. Yay. Ghostbusters. <laughs> Loaded it up. And I remember the, you know, you get the loading flashes and stripes on the screen and it would get to the very end of the tape do the final flashes before it would load and then just go blank. And pretty much all of Christmas day, I was just loading this, trying to get this game to load, doing the azimuth alignment in the screw hole of the C2N Commodore cassette player, trying both sides of the tape and turned out it was faulty and Christmas was ruined. <sighs> but we went back day after Boxing Day, got a replacement and then it worked. I had, a similar, I had a similar experience, yeah. actually. I remember I got, I think it was, do you remember the game Z-Wolf on the Amiga? Mm. I really wanted that for ages. My mum got me a copy of that, and then I put the disc in, like a blue screen came up, it wouldn't <laughs> load. So I had to wait till the shops reopened. No. 
That's uh, but did you then enjoy the game more as a result when you finally got it working? Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, the anticipation of it, you know, wanting to play it, I guess. Yeah, that's right. That's right. What about you, Ravi? Um, I just got crack games. <laughs> if it was ruined, <laughs> right. I'd just go to the dodgy shop and the guy would uh, get dopers open, uh, chuck wow. the disc in the bin, <laughs> and then, um, just write a new one. So, do we have you to thank for the downfall of the entire industry, or? <laughs> Think, maybe my local shop, yeah. <clears throat> That's why we do this to make a... up for killing the uh, the eight bit and sixty bit industry. <laughs> We're trying to bring it back slowly, like one channel at a time. Oh, I, I never had one of those dodgy shops, though. That's weird. Ah, yeah, yeah. I think Nottingham seems to be a bit of a hub for it. The East Midlands. Ah, okay. Fair I enough. was wondering because you had so many different systems as a kid. Like, what magazines would you be reading? Would you have one that you were totally into, or would you kind of pick and mix? Yeah, the main one was Playboy. Um, oh, I see what you mean. Sorry, my, my, my mistake. Uh, it was it was definitely Zap sixty four, Zap sixty four all the way. Um, we never had like an, an Atari or an Apple mag, and I think yeah, what was after Zap sixty four? There was probably was it Amiga format was the next one that I had, and those are the only two I think I subscribed to up until Retro Gamer more recently, which I, I get delivered here in America every month. Love that. And would you believe? Someone contacted me a couple of days ago from Zap64 and they're going to do an interview for the Lego Commodore 64. So I'm finally get my childhood dream to actually be in Zap64. I wrote them so many letters as a, as a kid and a teenager and never got published. So that, I'm very excited for that, as you might imagine. Well, are you more of a computer fan or do you, do you like consoles too? I like consoles, definitely. Yeah, I mean, we've got a PS4 and a C64 Mini. They're both consoles, right? Um, and I have I have really fond memories of playing Super Mario World in on the was it the on the SNES. Um, I would go to the Woolworths, get some pick and mix, and just have marathon sessions of uh, Super Nintendo, Super Mario World. And I've now got a SNES Mini, which probably doesn't count as retro, but I didn't have any more space left on the desk, so it had to be a Mini. Well, how big's your actual console and computer collection? And did you have to bring any over from kind of England? And do you have a hit list of any that you really want to get? That's a great question. Wow. Um, if I can put it in IKEA terms, so my my desk is two IKEA desks long. I don't know if that makes sense. You usually see it behind me in the intro uh, when I do episodes on the YouTube. So there's room for three systems on each side. So I've got I've got six major systems on there, which I flip-flop between in various videos. But on the hit list, I've I've been waiting for the ZX Spectrum Next to arrive, and it's, that's looking gorgeous. I'm so excited to get that. Um, other than that, what's remaining for me is the BBC Micro Model B, because that's what we, I don't know if you guys had that in school, but that was yeah. what I was using back in school. Me, me and Kate Beckinsale typing, 10, print, hello, 20, go to 10, yay. I'm playing Granny's <laughs> Garden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my gosh memories you guys are too old i had acorns so. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't acorn, the archimedes you made oh, yeah yeah the ones. later ones yeah, you know, yeah the risk well. it was made by acorn though wasn't it yeah, the, yeah. the bbc yeah i think the best memories of the bbc was is going into dixon's and and just typing in 10 print dixon's is sh yeah. and then <laughs> go <laughs> leave to, it at all go the screens. To 10. yeah always but with multicolors and and um, random sound yeah, we used to do that and we used to set the uh, the timers on the um, all the radio alarm clocks to come on at the same time and turn them up full blast. That was another good gag we used to do. We'd just oh, take all the mouse balls out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we can single-handedly say we brought down the retro industry and Dixon's. Well, yeah, yeah, cool. where to blame. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, that's cool. <laughs> well, I mean, have you always been into these classic machines or was there a period when you like you took a break and kind of rediscovered them again? Definitely took a break and I think that I think that's how it works if you... If you do find them again through nostalgia, it, it, it necessitates that you took a break and you um, you start to miss them and you start to sort of long for those those memories. And in a way, the simplicity, because the systems were so limited that it really just helped you be inventive and creative. And for me, it was, you know, having computers that could do anything at your beck and call. Um, I touched on this on a recent video. I did a walkthrough of the new Commodore 64 text adventure called Hibernated by um, Stefan Vogt. And in the intro, I talked a lot about how I feel like the, the amazing games today, like Red Dead Redemption 2, 
everything is just served for you. There is no room for imagination or creativity. And as a kid, imagination is everything. So for me, playing those text adventures, the world was in was in my mind. It wasn't really on the screen. And that's what I started longing for. So I, I then that's when I went up into the attic and tried to see what was left of any of the computers. I don't know about you guys, but sadly, I, because you never envisage you're going to feel this way, I had let my computers go as a kid. So I sold yeah. the, we gave the Commodore 64 to a, a friend's kid who, who really wanted one. And I think I sold my A500. I don't know about how, how about you guys? Did you yeah. manage to hang on to stuff? I know well, Dan, you did. I, yeah, I was going to say because Ravio scowls at me when I mention this on the show, but I did actually throw <laughs> away two Amiga twelve hundreds at one stage. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, I so regret doing that now. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, We've my, all done my, it. We've my all done dad it. did like uh, a monitor call where he had all the monitors and he smashed them with a hammer, oh. uh, like all what? these beautiful CRTs, and uh. he just left a two thousand out in the rain as well, just to kind of rust up. And I, I tried to recover it, but uh, yeah, it wouldn't work. He, he's very brutal, my dad. He used to just like chuck your old bike into the big skip and then you'd be like, Dad, no. where's my bike? And he's <laughs> like, I got rid of that rubbish. Wow. <laughs> did, did he at least film the smashing of the CRTs or no? Uh, no, no, but um, I managed to save all the 4,000, <laughs> so I, I, I had still quite a, a bit of a big collection afterwards, but yeah, it wasn't what it was. I think you're right, though, because you don't realise yeah. that you're going to value this stuff in like 20 years' time, do you? You think it's kind of no. worthless, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm glad you saved some of them, Ravi. Um, yeah, you just, there's no way to know, but now I do tell people you know if, if they're on a forum they're saying oh i'm finally getting rid of my commodore 64 i just say don't do it you will regret it in 10 years 20 years yeah um, you'll end up buying it back on ebay for like yeah. twice the price yeah yeah exactly um but you never know for me i i have this hope that i'll find it again and i, I do occasionally put out something on amibay just saying hey if you find a, a set of discs in this specific handwriting and i put a little picture and I would always write backup on them with two little squiggly um, tilde lines either side of backup. It's very distinctive. And I do hope, I do scour eBay now and then, and I, one day I'll get all my floppy disks and all the programs I wrote on the Commodore and the Apple IIe. It'd be nice to get those back, yeah. Well, you're a big fan of music too. And uh, what's your kind of yeah. favourite system for music? Commodore 64. Next question. <laughs> I, I can see why the SIM chip is just marvelous. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I had a lot of fun with the Commodore Music Maker. I turned it into uh, this really cool keyboard. So I'd seen this thing called the Akai. It was the MK2. And they did a special edition where the the black keys were red and the white keys were black. It just looked amazing. So I converted a Commodore Music Maker into this red and black keyed thing. And I added a couple of, you know, tuning knobs um, so you could adjust the the pitch and the open and close filters. That actually plugs into the joystick port because you could actually use paddles with some of these modern C64 SID chip synths like, what's it called here? I've got it right here, actually. Let me grab it. Oh yeah, SynthCart. SynthCart 64 is a new cartridge. Um, and it gives you a way to play the SID chip live and it has all these predefined voices. So I found a way, that's what I wanted to do, is just be able to play live on a real keyboard, adjust the filters. Um, and I put out a couple of uh, music videos of songs that I made that way. And there's just no chip like the SID chip for me. It's just that, that analog, juicy, fat sound for me. Yeah. How about you guys? to it, hasn't it? Gritty, it's, it's kind of, sounds broken sometimes. It's like it's alive, I feel. Maybe it is. Well, one thing anyone who's watched your channel, I'm sure, would love to know, um, a lady called Ashley appears in your video. <coughs> oh, um, yeah, Ashley. So it looks like, you know, she works in Walmart. Uh, what, what, <laughs> how did she get involved in your videos and how did she know so much about retro stuff? I, I don't know how it came about. So I think my idea was, wouldn't it be funny if you walk into a store where you would never expect them to know anything about retro computers, ask one of the random shopkeepers, you know, shop um, sales associates, a question like, can you still buy the plus four? Do you sell the plus four? And then if they answered in ex extreme detail, like, oh, no, that was discontinued in 1985. Or uh, I did one of a recent cartridge that has this newish kind of Commodore 64 graphic user interface. And I'll say, you know, oh, yeah, do you sell the multi-gang cart? And at first she's always like, multi-gang of carts? Yeah, here's some carts, like shopping trolleys. But then eventually she's like, oh, no, you have to get that from Poland. She always has the answer. So... 
I do. I walked in and just randomly found him. She she was fantastic. She said, "Yeah, I'll do that." And I do. Obviously, I coached them a little bit of what to say, and then we just kind of ad lib and, and improv. But she really uh, struck a chord with viewers. Um, and up until a couple of days ago, I'd never met her outside Walmart. <laughs> so I thought, okay, it's time that I had like a business lunch with her and just talk about some proper ideas. So we actually got together for lunch and it was a lot of fun. She showed up in a Yoshi or Yoshi t-shirt and turns out she actually loves playing video games and um, Nintendo 64 and stuff like that, which was a surprise. I thought she would know nothing and she she does. So what we're going to do, I asked my patrons to put questions to her. So I'm doing an episode called Ask Ashley and I've got some really great questions lined up for her. I haven't told her what they're going to be. I'm not coaching her this time. So we're going to get some real responses. And then I think what we're going to do is Ashley reacts. So you know the channel Kids React. Yeah. So stick her in front of a Commodore 64, give her a tape and say, okay, load, load Blockbusters with Bob Holness and just see, just see how it goes. Just wing it and see. Well, it's she, really interesting yeah. that you guys kind of interact at Walmart as well, because Walmart is a totally kind of different world <laughs> to any of the supermarkets in the UK. When I was in there, yeah, there really was kids is. riding bikes through the middle of it, and the staff <laughs> were going, get off the bikes, and it was just, it seemed uh, huger and a lot more fun. It's it's big, weird, wonderful. Um, <clears throat> I don't shop there usually, but when I'm there, I usually, I'll, I'll pick up something that I happen to need if I'm just there filming Ashley. But yeah, there's that website, The People of Walmart. Don't know if you've seen that. Yes. I, yeah. It's not very complimentary. <laughs> and when you go, it is kind of like that. It's yeah. a very, um, very weird place, Walmart. Is. Yeah. Probably depends on the store. I'm not sponsored by Walmart at all, so you, you can say what you want. But Ashley's diametrically opposite to the website, <laughs> People of Walmart. Um, she's always got a chipper smile and, and super helpful. But yeah, even in the last video, I was... I'm filming the bit and I've, I've edited it, probably watched that bit, you know, a hundred times during the editing. Something I didn't even notice in the comments, people were like, oh yeah, one minute 11, man pushes shopping trolley while identically dressed man climbs into trolley and man looks at camera. <laughs> I didn't even notice this is going on in the background. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very it's very strange. When we were there, some guy was like... <clears throat> can you get British bullets and sell them in a car park? <laughs> We're what? like, what? And he was a what? member of staff. Very <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> it's another world. It's another world. The wonderful world of Walmart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, you know, you mentioned your uh, Commodore Plus 4 video there as well. I really enjoyed watching that because that was actually my Thank you. first computer as a kid. So it was nice to see someone... Uh. Um, you know, covering that. But I think you're very fair to the system as well, because I know a lot of people just kind of make videos to hate on it and, you know, go on about how awful the machine was. But, um, you know, you talked about its limitations, but also I think you, it looked like you enjoyed discovering some stuff on it too. Definitely, yeah. I, now you mentioned it, I remember your video about that and I'd, I'd forgotten about that. Mm. But I I had never used it and I had no idea what it was, um, what it was all about and, you know, why was it called Plus Four and why did it fail? It discontinued after a year. But definitely there, there were downsides. You know, the business, business productivity software was not very productive. But when I started to play the games and things, modern things as well, like Pets Rescue, but we played through Mercenary on the video, um, find some of the Easter eggs in that. And the, the 12939 supply, you remember that? The um, turned out to be Pepsi, if you looked at it backwards. Yeah. All those fun little things. Um, it's got a lot going for it, and I kind of started to feel sorry for it having this reputation. Mm. It looks amazing. It's, it's definitely one of the sexiest retro computers up there with the, the Amiga 500 for me in looks. Um, it's got a great keyboard and so much you can do with it, even without hardware sprites. It, it's still in the software. The stuff they've done with it in Pets Rescue is amazing. So I, at the start... I started with the business software filming it and I was like, oh, this is terrible. This is going to make a really boring video. And I actually sat on that footage for a few months, just did nothing with it. And then I came back to it and started to play the games and I, I really fell in love with it. So I'm keeping the the one that I've got now and it's, that's got pride of place above the Commodore 64 in, in the studio there. So I can see why you love it. It's It's a really interesting little machine. I mean, do you find it interesting to discover new platforms or maybe systems that are a bit obscure? I do. So I, I sort of have to force myself to do that because that's not born out of, of nostalgia. And I always try to cover stuff that I genuinely am excited about. But occasionally, you know, like with this, this new cartridge and graphic user interface or systems like the 
what was it I did recently? Um, it was a console, a, Se- a Sega console that I'd never really used, but I wanted to just explore a bit about it. And then you start to discover stuff and you find the old commercials on YouTube and it, it's easy to actually get into the nostalgia of something that isn't your own nostalgia. And that's the nice thing about it as well. There's so many consoles out there. I've got a list of videos that stretches until the middle of 2020. <laughs> but if, if I ever run out, I've always got new ones to explore. So that's a really nice thing. Everybody has a video that kind of blew up and brought their channel to life, really. Which one was it for you? Um, for me, it was there was two videos that really blew up the subscriber numbers. First one, I covered an extreme refurb of an Atari 800XL. It was done by a friend of mine in Poland called Pete, a.k.a. Drogol. And you'd never seen a console in such bad condition. We think it had been stored under a pile of junk in a in a basement or something. The case was cracked to pieces. The keyboard was bowed and all the keys were scratched. And he, he actually created resin molds from a, you know, a real, uh, not a real, <laughs> they're both real, but from a good quality 800XL and was able to mold the missing fragments of the case and repair the motherboard. And it, just an incredible thing. And I, we, we still get comments saying this is the most extreme refurb and the, you know, the best saving of a computer that I've ever seen. But then on the other hand, some people don't get it. They, they say, well, you had a working one there that you took the molds from. Why didn't you just use that and throw the other one away? But for us, it's not, and I'm sure you agree, it's not about that. Because one day there's going to be, what, a thousand of these left. Another day there'll be only a hundred. And one day there'll only be like one working one of these left. So we have, I think every one that we can save and put back together is, is important. And yeah, the other video was, was the Lego Commodore 64 um, for obvious reasons. I, I'd seen this mini Lego Commodore 64 and uh, three inches long. I thought, wouldn't it be incredible to get a working one with spring-loaded keyboard and that you could actually put a real Commodore motherboard inside? And we even ended up um, hooking it up to the, uh, the motherboard to the Lego LED. So when you turn on the computer, the LED comes on on the top. Um, and one of the weirdest discoveries, and I still don't understand this, is the Commodore 64 keycaps, they share the same axle hole inside as Lego axle pieces. So if you get a two wow. by two Lego brick with an axle in it, that you can stick them onto the real Commodore 64 keyboard and use Lego keys. So I've got a really special episode coming up next weekend where I'm going to be building the world's first completely new Commodore 64. Because, of course, you can buy Commodore motherboards like the Ultimate 64 or the Reloaded. You can buy cases from Pixel Wizard, and you can even buy a keyboard base, something called the MechBoard 64. But nobody's got a solution for the keycaps. So I'm going to make these available to order, and I'm custom printing the top of the Lego tiles with all the Petski and the original Commodore 64C font. So it kind of looks like a real keyboard and it's going to be functional too. Well, you've done a lot of kind of restoration and refurbishing of machines. What do you need to check when you're restoring a machine and look out for? I mean, there are the obvious things, you know, it's always good to replace the capacitors. People say it's not an issue, but I I have seen them where they've, you know, blown up and that's then going to blow out other chips and the SID chips particularly susceptible. So replace the capacitors. I think the biggest rule is if it isn't broke, don't try and fix it apart from that. I, in my early days, you know, I'd be refurbing something and end up breaking something in the process. You've probably done it as well. Mm. So, you know, if, it, if it's working, just give it, give it a bit of a cleanup so it looks visually good. Replace the capacitors and, and otherwise leave it alone. But then when you start to get into Commodore 64 problems... That's where it's, it becomes a minefield. And coming up soon, I'm going to be doing an interactive Commodore 64 repair. So you've seen Bandersnatch, right? Yeah. Amazing. So it's going to, yeah, amazing. It's going to be like that. So we, I'm going to present the problem. And then at the end of each clip, you'll have two options that you can choose. So it could be um, replace the CIAs, or it could be check the traces on the board. And it'll go through, I think there's, there's something like 200 combinations. And you can work with me on rep- finding what the problem is to repair this board. We've got some special guests coming in to give some help as well, like the 8-Bit Guy. So you can click on Ask the 8-Bit Guy. That's It'll cool. pop up with his suggestion, stuff like that. Yeah, that should help out anyone wanting to, to refurb and reincarnate one of those old boards. 
I think Hal Bravi as well. He he's got a Commodore sixty four that it was black screening. He couldn't get anything out of it. Sent it away to get repaired, and it worked fine for the guy you sent it to, didn't it? That always happens. Oh no, <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, I think maybe. I mean, do you think it was in the post? Maybe some of the custom, some of the chips maybe got like resocketed or something. Yeah, God knows, because I've done that twice with him now. Yeah. <laughs> I've said, so this doesn't work. In, it works fine. <laughs> Does it work when he sends it back to you then? Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Oh, yeah. As long as it doesn't charge I'd, you for it. I'd say you're right, Dan. It probably something got reseated, or I've even found like solder fragments in between pins of of the uh, ICs. And then if that gets knocked out of place, then it'll just start working. Could be something like that. Well, we left it in the boot of Dan's car at an airport yeah. um, in the middle of winter for about oh, two weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> probably didn't help in hindsight, yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> didn't help, no. Shame on you. Well, have you got any um, techniques for retro brighting that you use? Yeah, I've, I've had mixed res- results really with retro brighting, like a lot of people. One thing I'm doing soon, so I was talking to, to David Murray, um, aka the 9 bit guy, uh, the 8 bit guy, um, the extra bits for parity, by the way. Um, and I think one of the interesting things is using ozone generators, because for me, it's such a pain in the backside getting all the cream everywhere and cling film or saran wrap, as we call it, saran wrap. So, what I'm going to be doing is putting a machine in a, like a computer in a large enclosure and trying to find a way to pump in ozone and keep it circulating. So we're going to need an inlet and an outlet. Stick it out in the sunshine as well because you need a, you need the heat or the UV and see if we can just find a way to retro bright, you know, hands off just, just with a certain gas. So you don't have to worry about all that cream and nonsense and streakiness so that's going to be really interesting to see how that turns out. Um, yeah, because I, I had a retro writing yeah. disaster last year. I tried to do uh, an Amiga 3000 keyboard and it got the, the marbling effect on it, unfortunately, off the cling films. Oh, uh, no. We've all had our retro bright mares. So what yeah. are some of the kind of best mods and upgrades that you've done? Like, what do you rate the most? Um, that's another really good question. I think the, the Music Maker is, is my favourite because it's something I still use. It wasn't just done for a video, just just to put something out there. I really loved the Atari 400 video mod because that one had this terrible RF output, such a noisy picture, low volume. Uh, so there's a there's a really cool S-Video and Composite mod that you can wire in. It's just a tiny little PCB, about, about an inch squared. And the result of that, I did retrobrite that one as well, which went badly, so I ended up respraying it with, with some color matching help from Walmart employees. Um, but the, the result when I turned that on with the S-Video composite mod in there just blew me away. Like it's this crystal clear, crisp image. For me, that's what really resonates and kind of, my mum would always say, find something to do in life that makes your heart sing. Like it's, it's really smolchy and gooey sounding. But when I get an old machine that's been passed, you know, along through various people and definitely seen better days and then you upgrade it with this tiny little change but it brings about a completely new machine that you fall in love with because it it's, it looks like brand new you know the picture is crystal clear and the the paint job is like it came out of the factory and for me that's what it's all about is those little mods that that make such a big difference i love some of the kind of more you know off the wall kind of stuff you've done as well like the the apple 2 pie <laughs> that, that video was really cool and the commodore 64 mini inside a a full-size 64. Yeah, I like to go wacky sometimes as well. Um, <clears throat> I'm always surprised nobody's done it because if you the C64 Mini, was to me, was just begging to be stuck inside of a uh, mother C64, like a little baby. Yeah, we found the Kira version 2, which allows you to take the real Commodore 64 keyboard and convert, convert it into a USB output. So I installed that inside the case and the USB output goes into the Mini, which allows you to use the full-size keyboard to type basic programs in the Mini. We ended up giving that away to, to a contest winner, which I'm kind of sad about because I wanted to keep it. The Apple Pie was a lot of fun. So I, on Craigslist locally, I, I got a you know a retro haul, as you do, and one of the things was this empty Apple IIe case with a keyboard. And I thought, what be, wouldn't it be great just to bring this back to life and restore it into the machine it, it used to be? But I did it with a Raspberry Pi, which... And I got the oldest pie that I could find as well. I think it was a Model B to, to get as retro even on that as I could. Um, and found a USB interface for that. So you can use the Apple IIe keyboard 
and the old joysticks as well, all connected to the Pi. And then I passed it around to Jan Bieter in Germany and Mindflare Retro in Canada. And it ended up with the 8-bit guy who um, <laughs> improved all the things that, that we'd done that he didn't like and uh, added some other stuff too. So it, it's now this fully fledged machine that um, I did a contest and then the winner came up and I chose the contest at random using like a, we used atmospheric noise. So basically the sound of lightning to generate a random winner. And the winner it chose was in Mongolia. So then I had to <laughs> ship, I had to ship this beast of a machine. Um, luckily it turns out he was actually studying in Turkey. So it, it was a little less expensive to get out there. Um, but yeah, that's now living a happy new life uh, after just being a, in a pile junk in Los Angeles. So it's always fun to, to do that kind of stuff. A little wacky, but it brings them back to life. Well, you mentioned mini systems there, and there's tons around at the moment. Uh, are there any systems that you think should be miniaturized? Wow. Ravi wants a CDI mini, don't he? Does no. he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't have a preference, honestly. Um, you could do it with any of them. I, do, I don't know how much I love the idea. That said, I've got the SNES Mini and the C64 Mini, so I guess I like it. There's something about them uh, that just makes you want to buy them, though, even though you've got the original. Yeah. It's weird. I think the N64 would be uh, fabulous yeah. because oh, it's yeah. always hard to get the output on the N64. And the emulation's a bit janky still, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's still hard, to, even on RetroArch, to, to emulate that. It, I, I guess it's because they're small, isn't it, and they're cute. We, we love puppies and babies and stuff. Um, <laughs> that You can't resist them. But it, there is something amazing when you walk into a, a shop like like Walmart um, and you see a C64 of any kind on the shelf again for yeah. the first time since you were 13 or whatever. So that is that is pretty cool. And I can't help going up live onto the Patreon lens and just doing a little live video when I walk into GameStop and they've got a new batch of C64 minis just sitting there. It's, there's something about it. But I guess an A500 would be cool as well, maybe. Yeah, my yeah. mum was in a shop, actually. I think she was in Game or something, and she spotted, like, the 64, and she yeah, she sent me a picture, like, they're selling these again. She was, like, amazed. <laughs> my mum wouldn't know what it was. I, don't think. <laughs> I love the way my mum thought I hadn't heard about it, though, and she was, like, the, the first to break the news <laughs> to me. I was like, yeah. Yeah, mum, I've, I've had 100 emails about that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, you know, talking about the 64 as well, um, you recently covered a new Commodore 64 desktop GUI as well. Yeah, so that, I, I referenced that earlier. That's the mini Gankart, and it's this... Initially, it kind of seemed like a hodgepodge of various things stuck together. So it's got an SD2IEC on this cartridge. It's got a machine code disassembler. Kind of cool thing, like you, as soon as you turn the machine on, it presents you with a list of function keys so you know exactly what you're doing, which is would be great for Ashley Reacts because she'd actually see, oh, if I hit F5, it's going to load a directory, and it has like this telepathic F5 key. So you can... You can load up a directory just straight in basic and scroll up and just hit F5 and it'll open that folder. And then you can hit F5, it'll open the next folder. Hit F5 again, it'll open whatever, it'll run, load and run whatever game or program the cursor is over. So that's really nice. But then on the other side of it, it's got this this GUI, as you said. So I think a couple of years ago, there was a Cena's release and major update to the final cartridge 3. And they updated it with a whole load of new tools. And it's a mouse-driven GUI. So I've got out the, the 1531 mouse on the Commodore 64. And in the video, I go through all the, the menu options. You know, it's got a notepad and calculator. And you can even put drop-down menus on top of BASIC. And that was, to me, that blew me away. So you can be writing a program and just move the mouse and the menus appear and you can renumber the program automatically through one of the options. So if you run out of line numbers, for example, and you can just, you know, click file, save, and it'll save your basic program to your working, to your project folder. Um, and that, isn't that incredible? Like with 38 yeah. bytes free, you can get a, a GUI system going over that. Because I, I um, even thought Geos yeah. was impressive back in the day, but, you know, that, that just took it to a whole new level. Yeah. I mean, Geos is, is fantastic. And I never knew about Geos. Did you guys know about it? Yeah, I remember seeing it quite. It was probably about the early 90s when I saw it. I, I remember seeing it. I think they were selling the Commodore 64C in, like, Tandy or somewhere, and they were bundling it with it probably about 1990, I never knew about it, and I wondered if I would have kept the Commodore 64 a bit longer instead of moving to the Amiga 
Um, and funny to think they probably were selling it in Walmart back then as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they probably did actually know about it. Um, it's funny, I, I loaded up an old disc that I found in the attic. It was my Amstrad PCW uh, letters disc. And it had all my Zap64 letters. And I, I covered one of those in that GUI video. Um, the Commodore 64, I found this letter I'd written back in 82, I guess, to a friend saying, oh, I, you know, I was going to get the Commodore 128 or maybe an Amiga, but I found this, Evesham Micros do this case that makes your Commodore 64 look like a C64C. So I don't need an Amiga. I'm just going to get that new case. Same thing. Same thing, right? <laughs> it's always cringe to read stuff you wrote as a kid, isn't it? I know. So cringe. So cringe. Yeah. Well, talking about the Amiga, I absolutely loved your video about getting the 500 to have modern email. Um, do you get a kick Thank out you. of kind of getting these retro machines online and getting them to still communicate? Don't you mean, do I get a kickstart out of it? Oh, there you go. <laughs> My channel is known for its terrible uh, humour. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. I really do, and it, it ties back into that thing with the Atari, you know, getting getting it to go to a whole new level. I like to kind of try and do world firsts, like with the you know the Commodore sixty four keycaps or whatever it is, um, just to reinvigorate discussion in the community and those machines. <clears throat> Nobody had managed to get modern email, and by modern email, I mean like through Ethernet, for example. So dial up, obviously you could have had back then in, on the A500 and probably did. And But getting high high speed, and by high speed, I mean it was pushing about 1,200 kbps through the parallel port, getting that working. Uh, so I found this thing called the Plip Box, and it's, a, it's like an Arduino kind of device, but it does fit into the parallel port of the Amiga. So with a very specific firmware flash to it, um, and a specially written driver, you can use it to hook up to your modern day ethernet or your cable internet. And then the issue really then became encryption because the, the Amiga 500 just can't handle encryption. But luckily I found my local ISP, they don't encrypt the outgoing stuff if you send it with your username and password. So the SMTP um, output, which is where the encryption issue happens, wasn't a, wasn't a factor there either. So th through some, you know, huge coincidence of, various factors working in my favor, I was able to start sending and receiving email on the Amiga 500. And I, I think to this day, nobody said that they were able to get that going. So that was kind of nice. And I, I still have the email address open. So I still get emails to the Amiga. People just say, hello, is anyone there? <laughs> and I'll always, I'll send a reply. And in the signature, it was, says... Was that like pop free or IMAP, was it? Yes, it is pop three. And I'm using YAM. I think it's version 3.2. YAM is yet another mailer. And then I always send the signature, says, um, sent from my Commodore Amiga 500. <laughs> Just like iPhones and that do today, yeah. Andrew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why not? Well, speaking of cool machines, I mean, you did mention before that you backed the, the Spectrum Next. I mean, what are you looking forward to about that machine? Yeah, uh, it looks so good. For me, what sold it, I'm very visual, so what sold it was the styling. And obviously it was designed by the on the original designers of the Spectrum who sadly passed away recently. Um, but it just looks amazing. What a legacy that he's he's leaving behind. But also updated versions of favourite games. So I used to go around to my friend's house. I never had a Spectrum, but my friend Matthew had a, a Spectrum and then the Spectrum Plus 2 and micro drives. And we would play Attic, Attic Attack nonstop. So there's now an updated version of Attic Attack that takes advantage of the new features of the next, you know, the, the added colors and graphics and sound. So playing that with the, the old school feel, but updated for 2019. I mean, how amazing is that? And it is Just, a beautiful looking machine, isn't it? Yeah. Those color pops on the right hand side for me. Um, I don't know. There's just something about it, isn't there? That, Cause they always had those color stripes on the side of the spectrum. Um, and it, um, there's even the keys, I mean, that two-tone, it's got the piano yeah. black polish on one part of the keycap and then the the matte bit for where you want to grip. Yeah, just lovely. I'm really excited. And I'll, I'll be doing probably a live unboxing, I think, maybe with that. Well, what are your kind of future hopes and plans for your channel? I've got that long list of, of fun stuff and the challenge really is deciding what to do next because always, I'm always juggling five projects and I've filmed little bits of each of them and it's like, what do you put out next? So really, I just, 
I just want to continue to have people come join me, um, subscribe and all that good stuff. But more than that, to just keep invigorating that discussion. And if you can do things like LGR did, for example, was getting a, a floppy disk drive working with his cell phone, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I love that, that modern twist on the retro. That's really useful for the community because I've heard people even saying, you know, um, they were in a, in a store or something, I think it was, and a, um, someone's dad said, oh yeah, that guy built a Lego 64 out, out of like a working Lego 64. And to think that it's kind of transcending generations and even getting those people talking about it is, is really lovely. So yeah, just continue to do that kind of stuff and get people talking and get these machines the love they deserve. Well, Christian, we love your channel and, uh, you know, it's, it's great to see all the, the different things that you're coming up with and this love that you've got for these classic systems. Uh, if people want to find your channel, we'll, of course, put a link in our show notes. Do you have a website and Twitter and all that as well? Yeah, all that good stuff. Um, if you just go to perifractic.com, there's links there for everything you need. Wonderful. And keep up the good work with the channel. It's been great talking to you. Thank you guys so much. Lovely chatting with you. today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.